Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and little league practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnebly and Toth. Hey, hey, hey. It's episode 63 of the shallow end with Schnebly and Toth. You caught me mid-mouthful of IPA. Sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, what kind of IPA is it, JJ? Well, it's a it's a fine Ecuadorian uh, IPA from... Is there a, anything unusual about it? It's, it's called Zen. Uh, Zen IPA. It's brewed in Quito, and it uh, has nine milligrams of CBD in it. So <laughs> let's light this candle. So an IPA with CBD. I love that about you. My my uh, brain is very conflicted right now. <laughs> it's sort of like uh, sort of like uh, decaffeinated coffee with uh, with high amount of caffeine in it. No, it's not like it's actually it's not like that at all. But <laughs> I I enjoyed it nonetheless. I would I would guess it would be a doubly soothing, um, a, a, just a slight a slight buzz and a slight. Uh, f- feeling of relaxation. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. It's not yeah. a, it's not really high in alcohol for an IPA. It's like four point five percent. So that's pretty know, low. It's pretty low for an IPA. I mean, I've had IPAs that uh, really pegged the meter, um, as as we say in the biz. When you say the business, of course, you mean the industry. R- well, exactly right. Yeah, the yeah. industry, yeah. the biz, whatever the kids are calling it these days. Did the kids still say, I'm going to bounce, or is that gone? <laughs> oh, no, no they, they usually say that right after they say, "Womp, there it is. <laughs> That's like the hot thing <laughs> these days. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Slap by JG before we even start somebody's story. I see what this what this episode's going to be. <sighs> I'm a little overtired. I get it. Um, anyway. Um, but yeah, this is episode 63. How about that? That's damn cool, if you ask me. And I understand Buzz on the Street is you're, you're going first today. Well, 
as I said, I'm a little punchy. I'm a little overtired. And you graciously have allowed me to go first yet again. Anything um, I can do to help, pal. You are the, the best friend I ever had. The bestest friend the, I ever had. I'm the best co-host of this podcast you will ever have. <laughs> that is true. All right. Have you ever worked an overnight shift? Oh, God, yes. Tell me about that. Uh, it was my first job in radio, so I really couldn't complain. And I was actually excited at first, but it was mm -hmm. a Friday midnight to Saturday 6 a.m. And then Saturday midnight to Sunday 6 a.m. at a radio station in uh, Tucson. The 500-watt yeah. blowtorch of Southern <laughs> Arizona. <laughs> yeah. So it was yeah. really not even worth going in for. <laughs> not really. Probably could have just turned off the transmitter and no one would have known the difference. <laughs> I, I've also done the overnight shift, too, and it really messes with your head. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it really does. Especially when, you know, you, it's like four or five o'clock in the afternoon and you've got to stay up because there's no point in trying to get a nap when you got to go to no. work at midnight. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough thing, and I admire people who work the overnight shift. As do I. As do I. There was a guy who worked at a place called Cogswell Laboratory, and he was a custodian there, and he had the overnight okay. shift. Now, picture this. The dim lighting of Cogswell Laboratory casting a gentle glow over everything during the overnight hours. guy named Joseph Harrington. He was wearing his blue daily daily cleaning systems uniform probably neatly pressed he was pushing his janitorial cart through the gleaming white hallways the soft hum of machines and a distant chatter of the remaining late night researchers became a familiar soundtrack uh, in the late evening early morning hours i remember being so lonely in the middle of the night uh, working overnight shift lens that I, and this is true. I found myself having a conversation with the vending machine. <laughs> JG. It was an argument and I lost the argument. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But that's a whole different story. Uh, this guy, every surface he approached, he met with meticulous care from the tiles that reflected the overhead fluorescent lights to the stainless steel fixtures of the lab rooms, uh, having been on the job for a few months now, he'd become accustomed to this particular uh, environment and the rhythms of a research institute. He sounds like he was sort of a like a, a, a craftsman, craftsman custodian, exacting in his work. He, he seemed to be uh, very, very dialed into what he did. Yeah. And he, he cared about his job. This evening, how, there was a new sound. He, he had become used to all of the sounds in the, uh, in the environment, in the lab. But this was a new sound. It was a, a constant beeping, an annoying chirp, Ugh. kind of like a car alarm Ugh. With, when, when no one attends to it, which happens constantly uh, here in Ecuador. Um, <laughs> I didn't know there were that many car alarms. And I didn't know that there were so many people that didn't care when they went off. <laughs> Why have one? Note to self. At first, he thought it was coming. The noise was coming from a piece of equipment he was not familiar with. Or maybe somebody's, they left a, their phone there by mistake and they had a timer set. And the sound was a little bit distant. 
So he continued with his duties. He was wiping down the counters and sweeping the floors. But as the minutes began to turn into hours, this repetitive beeping became more pronounced. And it really clotted his concentration. I can imagine, yeah. It drives me crazy when I sure. can't uh, I can't stop like a a sound that is just repetitive and continues. It's also worse they they say when you can't see the source of the sound, just seeing what the source is often really alleviates some of the of the stress or the anxiety. That's very interesting. Yeah. I hadn't heard that, yeah. but it but it makes it makes some sense. Yeah. So by now it was getting pretty loud and he was becoming quite disturbed. It was really actually a, a mix of concern and annoyance. His focus was now squarely on the source of the noise, trying to locate it among all of these machines and devices that he knew very, very little about. Then he discovered it. It was a freezer, <laughs> a large imposing freezer. And it, it was blinking like a distressed beacon. He noticed there was a sign taped to the front of it, but with the loud beeping, his attention was diverted more to silencing the alarm than reading the warning. Oh, uh, he, he remembered passing it several times over the last week or two, but tonight it seemed to cry out for assistance. Oh, boy. So he's, he's a conscientious guy. And he believed in solving problems, not ignoring them. To him, this constant alarm meant something was wrong. Someone needed to address it. And in the solitude of the evening with no researchers in sight, he felt that that someone was him. Why do I have a feeling that if, if <laughs> the fact that you mentioned a sign on the freezer makes <laughs> me think that he probably would have done well to have read the sign? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Go on. So he looks around and he sees an electrical box nearby. He recalled almost with a touch of pride how his father, who worked in a, a plant like a utilities plant at another college, had shown him the basics of the breaker systems. Breakers are essential, his father would say. They're the heartbeat of any facility. Sure. You need to know them. With this memory bolstering his confidence, he approaches the box, hoping to find the solution and restore the lab's tranquility. He genuinely believed that he was doing the right thing, drawing on every ounce of his limited knowledge and experience. In this giant laboratory where he really doesn't know what it is they do or, or anything. Lots of machines that go ping! Beep, <laughs> beep, beep. Tragically, his well-intentioned actions would soon set off a cascade of events that no one would have anticipated. Uh, once he made his de decision to act, his heart raced, driven by a combination of purpose and a looming sense of urgency. Each beat felt like an accusation. So, he just shut it off. Okay, that's one way to do it. That's one way to solve it. Just through the breakers... And uh, that was the end of it. Things got quiet again. He drew a deep breath. The haunting beeping was gone in the distant noise of the outside traffic. A quick look at the freezer showed the alarm light was no longer blinking. In that moment, he felt like a hero. He believed he'd solved a problem, potentially preventing a bigger one. Here's what the note on the freezer said. Quote, this freezer is beeping as it is under repair. Please do not move or unplug it. 
No cleaning required in this area. You can press the alarm slash test mute button for 5 to 10 seconds if you would like to mute the sound. Oops. The following morning, the lab was buzzing with activity as researchers commenced their daily routines. It was a scene of organized chaos, breakers, computers, notes, and the ever-present hum of machinery. But soon, a different kind of chaos would grip the lab. The team of researchers, dedicated and dedicated students, approached the freezer only to find it silent and warm, and panic ensued. The sight of the once-frozen samples now thawing and compromised oh. sent waves of despair throughout the lab. No. They, the, the, yeah, the note on the... Um, the note on the freezer that uh, the janitor had overlooked warned people not to ever, ever turn it off because inside were two decades of groundbreaking work. Oh, no. No. In one single night... 20 years of research was lost, was oh. unthawed and lost. Dude, janitor, custodial dude. The fallout from this incident was swift and all-encompassing. Word spread quickly through the hallowed halls of the Institute. This was devastating news. Researchers, professors, students alike shared in their collective disbelief and heartbreak, unable to fathom the magnitude of what had been unintentionally destroyed. Now, this guy, his motives were good. I guess. But, but you know, if you're in a high-level research facility, it's probably wise to just not s shut things off. Yeah. Even if it's making loud, beeping noises. Yeah, yeah. So, there was a lawsuit that was filed. Uh, it emphasized the company's responsibility for ensuring that their personnel, this is against the janitorial company, um, that the personnel were adequately trained to handle specific demands of sensitivities and sensitivities of working in a high-tech environment. And the public response was kind of mixed. Some sympathized with the janitor and recognized that it was just kind of an unfortunate circumstance of consequences. It was a well-intentioned act. In the aftermath, the Institute implemented stringent protocols and enhanced training procedures for all external contractors. And while nothing could bring back their lost research, the incident uh, catalyzed a campus-wide conversation about the balance between innovation and safeguarding knowledge. As for the janitor, the incident became a turning point. He faced some scrutiny, sympathy as well, and many questions about that fateful evening. In time, he moved on from his position at uh, the custodian company uh, with hopes of finding a fresh start elsewhere, away from the shadows of that unforgettable <laughs> I night. I was going to say, he now owns his own high-tech research <laughs> laboratory. <laughs> he invented the type of freezer that can't be shut off by accident. Good for him. So this is obviously... Yeah. this this. This is not your freezer, my freezer with with just the open door and there's your there's your vodka and your your wild grain in it. This right, is right, right. This is a high tech beast of a of a thing that's I'm guessing literally industrial grade. It must have must yeah. have been. I'm just grateful he did he didn't work at the CDC in in the area where the frozen <laughs> smallpox samples. What's this? <laughs> It probably needs to be set free. <laughs> fly, fly, little smallpox spores. Be free, specimen. Be, be Go free. Go to the sky where you belong. 
Anyway, uh, my information came from CNN, uh, the New York Post, and USA Today. Wow. Wow. Read the damn sign on the fridge. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. From the outside, Keeper's Bank looks like most every other bank you see. We're on major street corners. We have friendly tellers. Welcome to Keeper's Bank. How can I help you? Even ATMs outside if you're too busy to walk in. So what makes Keeper's Bank different? It's simple. We decide if you get your money out. Here's how it works. Every deposit you make is cheerfully welcomed. But every withdrawal? Well, we've got some questions. A loan for college? Hey, great idea. Withdrawing $7,000 for a trip to Hawaii? Didn't you just go there last summer? Gotta say no to that one. $10,000 for a new car loan? What happened to your old Toyota? It was fine. At Keeper's Bank, we think watching your money is our job. We just want you to keep more of it. Keeper's Bank. It's your money. It's our bank. Keeper's Bank. Member FDIC. Our email address? Well, it's the same it's always been. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Listener name Amanda, one of JG's favorite names. Uh, she writes, I was listening to episode 57. You guys were talking about peppermint oil and jalapeno juice being accidentally <laughs> applied on the twig and giggles berries. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have another thing for you to ponder. My husband works at a prison and on a few times... Other officers have forgotten to wash their hands after having to use very powerful pepper spray and then Ooh. using the bathroom. Oh, no. I understand this is not a very pleasant experience. So the other day my husband was at work. <laughs> there was an incident with an inmate and the very powerful pepper spray was indeed needed. My husband was covered with it. His arm is broken in an altercation, so he must be taken to the hospital. Fast forward a few hours later, they've decided to cast his arm and send him home. The next day is very hot and he starts to sweat. He now realizes his mistake. He forgot to tell the nurse she needed to wash the arm before applying the cast. Oh, no. So for the next week, every time he sweat, it reactivated the pepper spray under the cast and it burns like hell. He had to wait (laughs) till he saw the doctor to get the cast taken off. Thought you guys would enjoy. Love the podcast. Keep up Ooh. the good work, Amanda. Wow. Oh, yeah. boy. Well, Sorry about that, well. Amanda. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for your service, sir. Yeah. Whoa. And uh, wow. note to listeners, if you're ever had an arm covered in pepper spray and you have to have a cast put on it, maybe mention that before they put yeah. the cast on. Yeah. Yeah. Take a wet nap to it. Yeah. Even even a damp paper towel. 
would do uh, would do better than nothing. <laughs> Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Thanks to Amanda for writing that. You're in the shallow end with Schnapply and Tom. JG, if this were an old time newspaper story, because mm-hmm. I know you like those those kinds of stories. I do. I love the the way they wrote back in yeah. the day. I think I think this story would have started that this way. Again, I think this story would have started this way. Dateline, Brunswick, Cumberland County, Maine. A Brunswick woman is lucky to be alive this morning after a daring invasion robbery almost turned into an overnight tragedy. But quick thinking and a show of force turned the tables on a would-be attacker and sent him scurrying for safety. What do you think? <laughs> I love it. Do I have a do I have a future or do I do I have a past in newspaper announcing? You should be you should be doing like uh, cartoon characters. Yeah, you know that kind of reminds me of uh, Quagmire on um, sure on Family Guy. And and you know I I saw an interview with Seth MacFarlane, the creator, and he said that that character voice he developed it <laughs> based on the Hindenburg announcer guy. Oh, sure. Wow. And you can hear it. You can yeah, hear it. Yeah, yeah. God, I would love to meet I would love to meet that guy someday. He's just he has got so many talents. The Hindenburg disaster guy? <laughs> well, he probably did too. I don't want to shortchange him. I was thinking, All the humanity. I was thinking specifically of Seth MacFarlane. Ah, okay, that makes much more sense. And by the way, I know we're still a few months away, but I highly recommend Seth MacFarlane's Christmas album. I am not kidding you. It is <laughs> It is absolute gold. It's just fantastic. So remember, jotting a note right now. I love this story that I'm about to tell you because of four things. Uh, A, it has a shallow end criminal who gets his comeuppance almost immediately after making a very boneheaded decision. B, it involves a woman of a certain age fighting back against a much younger man. C, it involves compassion. And D, perhaps most important, it involves a late night snack. <laughs> and I know, having vacationed with JG, how the man loves him a, a late night snack, often involving oh. a bowl of cereal. Or a, an entire box of Little Debbie cakes. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Our hero in this story lives in Brunswick. JG, you and Kat are no doubt familiar with Brunswick, Maine. Absolutely. Her name is Marjorie Perkins. Marjorie, God bless her, is a spry 87 years old. She's a former elementary school teacher, so she knows a thing or two about dealing with younger kids, right? She's she's long retired, but she stays active. Uh, she's taught figure skating at Bowdoin College, and mm-hmm. she still teaches line dancing uh, in Midcoast, Maine. She's done that for the last 25 years. She must be exhausted. She's 87 and line dancing? For 25 years. For 25 years straight. You need a vacation. <laughs> well, I think the fact that she's so active plays a huge part in how she was able to do what I'm about to describe. This takes place actually just a, a little over about a week ago in Brunswick. It's about 2 a.m., in the swanky Bay Bridge Estates neighborhood of Brunswick. I don't know Ooh. if it's actually swanky, but I always love that, that word, swanky. So Marjorie <laughs> is asleep in her home. It's two in the morning. This is, uh, this is two Wednesdays ago. 
Now, Marjorie uh, lives all by herself, but it's the middle of the night. So I said 2 a.m. And she senses something is off. Something's not right in the room. And she wakes up and this is the stuff of nightmares. Sure enough, she awakens to find a man standing over her. Oh, no. Creepy, rude and creepy. One of her first thoughts was, how could this possibly be happening? Because she knew that she had locked her front door before going to bed. So she's asking herself this question. How did this, unless I'm having a dream, how did this guy get in the house? Now, she can't tell his age yet because it's dark, but the voice standing over her leans down and says, I'm going to cut you. Oh, no. Yeah. As I said, as I said, extremely rude. This is this is like a, a Wes Craven film or something. <laughs> it, it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, one of the first things she notices is that for some reason, the guy is not wearing his shirt or pants or shoes. He's barefoot in skivvies. Just his underpants. Just his underpants. But Marjorie, for whatever reason, she did not have laces in her tennis shoes. So Uh. she says, I thought to myself, if he's going to cut, I'm going to kick. So I jumped (laughs) into my shoes. And that's when Perkins said the teen started hitting her and she reached for a chair to use as a shield. We actually have some audio of her. This is bite one, Drew. I grabbed my chair and uh, he grabbed me by the shoulders and pushed me against the wall and so forth. So I took my chair and I kept hitting him. That helped, she said. I was hollering for help out the window. Thank God I had the chair between us or it would have been worse. (laughs) But here's the thing. No one heard her and this attack continues. And the two of them are now really going at it. And it's at this point that she says this teenaged kid punches her in the forehead, actually causing a bruise. He kept punching me and pushing me. But Marjorie was not was not having any of it. So she keeps kicking at him and using this chair to push him away. And praise be to God, it works. Now, police speculate that this kid had absolutely no idea what he was getting into. He just gave up. He just just threw up his arms like, I'm done. And he leaves the bedroom. (laughs) And Marjorie's now thinking, "Well, well, now what the hell do I do? I mean, you know, she's understandably... Very confused. She's only been awake a few minutes. She's scared to death. She hears him walking down the hallway. So she follows him. And what does he do? He turns at the end of the hallway and he wanders into the kitchen. So now Perkins is following him and she's walking toward the kitchen to see what he's going to do next. And she looks over to the front wall of her living room and she sees his pants and his shoes in a pile on the floor next to a knife, which is huh. good Good that he didn't have the knife with her, you know, when he, when he crept into her room. Right. So this is cr- creepy enough, but she, she, 
she has a, a window unit air conditioner. You know those air conditioners that yep. fit into a window and then there's usually, there, there was a, a piece of wood that had covered the space next to the air conditioner flush with the wall and he had apparently managed to somehow punch that out mm. and climb into through that, through that side panel and, and squeeze through the gap. But she took a little bit of relief in seeing that because she thought, okay, I was right. I knew I had locked my front door before going to bed. So now, numbnuts, this kid is just standing in the kitchen. He's not threatening her. He's not attacking her. He's just standing there looking kind of, kind of lost. And in his underpants. In his underwear at 2, this is probably now 2.05 in the morning. And I'm wondering if he was kind of lost because he realizes, hey, I'm standing here in a stranger's kitchen in my underwear at 2 in the morning. But Marjorie, who's sort of got her wits back about her, is now just trying to get him the hell out of her house. She says, I kept telling him, you need to get out. You need help. You need to get out. You need help. Well, he finally turns to her. And what he says next is just amazing. He says he's awfully hungry and he hasn't had anything to eat for a while. Can you freaking believe this? He breaks into this elderly woman's home, takes all of his clothes off, goes in and threatens her in his underpants. Assaults her. Yeah, assaults her. And then, and then, hey, can you fry me up some bologna? <laughs> goes out to the kitchen and actually says... I'm hungry. I haven't, I haven't eaten for a while. So this is where the, the compassion that I mentioned at the top of the story comes into play. Because as you just mentioned, he's broken into her home, threatened to cut her, punched, in the re- punched her in the head, fought her in her bedroom, and just minutes later he's now saying, I'm really hungry. What does she do? She told the police she goes to her pantry and she actually pulls out some food. No. Marjorie said, I told him, well, here's a box of peanut butter and honey crackers. You can have that whole box. And he just stares at her. So she said to the police, so then I gave him two <laughs> containers of Ensure and I gave him two, ta- two tangerines. Okay. Well, that's a well-balanced meal. Perhaps the first time in the history of America that a 17-year-old boy actually drank a a can of Ensure. I could be wrong, but I'm going to go out on a limb. So what does the kid do? He's got this food. Does Does he run for his life? Does he hit out the back door? No. He sits down at the kitchen table and he starts eating this stuff. Oh my God. Now Marjorie sees an opportunity for the first time to ask for some help. So while this kid is, is eating the peanut butter and honey crackers and the cans of Ensure and the two tangerines, she reaches over for her phone and dials on a rotary phone 911. <laughs> exactly. She dialed, she, she said, I dialed as fast as I could. And now it's here that she realizes as she's staring at this kid, holding the phone to her ear, waiting for the 911 operator to pick up. She recognizes this kid. She had actually hired him 10 years before when he was only seven years old. He had knocked on her door looking to make extra money around the neighborhood. And she hired him to mow her lawn. 
Wow. A decade earlier. Can you believe that? That's a great memory. She told police he actually did a darn good job, too, mowing the lawn. So while she's been talking to the 911 dispatcher, the kid finally collects his his shoes and pants. Actually, sorry, he collects just his pants (laughs) and he leaves. He leaves behind his knife. He leaves behind his shirt. He leaves behind his shoes and a water bottle that actually contained alcohol. Not rubbing alcohol. Ah, uh, yeah. Know, liquor. Corn corn squeezins. Corn squeezins. So the police show up. The Brunswick police show up. They've got a police dog. They, uh, the, the tracker and the dog, track the teen a few blocks away. He's arrested. He's taken into custody. He now faces charges including burglary, criminal threatening, assault, and consuming liquor as a minor. I love that they threw that last one in there just because he had a year left before he you know, turned 18 and right. could legally uh, consume liquor in a house that you've just broken into. Police uh, <laughs> describe him as a young adult, but have declined to release his identity. Marjorie, again, showing compassion, says, I just hope the kid gets help. She That's got some sweet. Yeah, she got some bruises, but she says those will heal. She's glad that she wasn't hurt any worse. Now, after the attack, a neighbor gave her a baseball bat And Perkins had a worker reinforce that air conditioning opening with screws. She urged others with those air conditioning units, make sure they're secure to prevent break-ins. But uh, she actually told Maine News Now TV station that there is absolutely no reason to show her any sympathy. Don't sit and cry about it. If it comes up again, do it again. Be ready to kick and then pick up a chair and hit somebody with it. (laughs) So Perkins has become a little bit of an international celebrity since the attack. She said she still feels safe in the home. She's lived there for 42 years. But, and I think a lot of people feel this way, she worries about crime increasing. Mm. And she said it seems to have gotten worse because criminals don't fear going to jail. She said, I think our law is just folded up. People aren't afraid of anything anymore. They feel that they can do as they please. And I would I would dare to say I think I think she's right. Praise be to God, she's okay. She's got her reinforced air conditioning unit. She's got a <laughs> baseball bat from a well-meaning neighbor, and I suspect uh, word has gone around to other 17-year-olds, leave Marjorie Perkins the hell alone. She'll beat the <laughs> crap out of you with a chair and she'll she'll kick you to death. And then feed you crackers and, and insure. Give, give you insure and tangerines. <laughs> and if you've ever tasted insure, you know it's better to just leave people like that alone. God bless you, Marjorie. I got this from the Associated Press, Maine News Now, and the Times Record newspaper. I love that. Oh, man. That is, that is poetic comeuppance, is it not? It reminded me of your story a few months ago from the woman who had her cigarettes stolen. She was she was having a smoke yeah. on her front deck and, yeah, and she, she beat, beat the guy to death the, with a with, with, a, with, a, walker. with a walker. <laughs> <laughs> so if these oh. two stories don't convince young ne'er do well boys, leave old women alone. I don't I don't know what will. You're gonna get your ass kicked. And you're gonna get teased mercilessly in jail. Yeah, that's not a pleasant conversation to have with one's jail cellmate. No. Yeah. What'd you do? Oh, I attacked an 87-year-old woman, but she started kicking me, so I had to leave. Then I had then I had to drink two cans of Ensure. Have you ever had that stuff? 
Actually, in prison, insure is a form of currency. So that's probably true. That's probably true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what can I get for this can of insure? <laughs> Protection. <laughs> Our email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. We appreciate your story ideas, your comments, anything you want to say. We absolutely read every single email we get. We appreciate you telling your friends and family about the show. Continue to grow the podcast. And uh, as we mentioned last week, we have a huge announcement coming in the yes. weeks ahead for uh, for something maybe even bigger than Box and Shallow combined. We don't know. We don't know yet. It's so confidential, we don't even know what it is. That's the scary thing. It's really, really big. That's all we know. That's all we've been told. And uh, they're actually looking for larger warehouses to store it in. So <laughs> we'll, we'll just let you know what we find out as yeah. we find it out. And hosts more talented than us. That's not hard to find. That's probably not too hard, is it? <laughs> That's not a very high bar. No, you're uh, right. Lens. Easily done. We'll see you next time. Make good choices. Your life might depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast. Give these boys a five-star rating and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. Okay, gotta go. <laughs>